Hey, good morning, everyone. Uh, Lori and I have been gone the last couple weeks, so it's uh, really good to be back with you, good back to be back home here. Uh, we, um, two weeks ago, we traveled to North Carolina to see our son and daughter-in-law and, and two of our fantastic grandchildren, uh, Kella and Bronson, and they're just, it's just such a delight to spend time with them. How many of you here are grandparents? Isn't it awesome? You know that, it, it's, I always, yeah, it's really great. I always heard that thing that the great thing about grandchildren is you're happy to see them come and you're happy to see them go, you know? So, so it, really is, it really is a different thing. It's kind of like having a part-time puppy, you know? You get to enjoy the puppy, you get to play with it, but then at 11.30 when it wants to go outside for a walk and do its business, you don't have to take care of that part. So we, just, we had a great time there, and um, we uh, spent some time back in my hometown, East Brady, Pennsylvania, and that was good too. Yeah, who's, who knows East Brady here? Someone? You, oh, okay, that's right. That's right. Lorraine's from Erie. So, um, yeah, but it's good to go home. You know that? It's, well, not home. Home is here, but it's good to go back to your, the place you started. And, and to drive around and to see the sights and to say, hey, remember what that was and what happened there. See how things have changed. See how, how much smaller things are than, than you remember them to be. But um, I, I was thinking of, as I was thinking of this message and, and where we're gonna go with it today, there are some people referred to in the message, a couple named Abraham and Sarah. And uh, Abraham and Sarah were these two people that lived in Mesopotamia. And, and this is like a couple thousand years before Jesus. And uh, Abraham and Sarah were called by God to leave their hometown, go to a new land. And so for them, leaving their hometown meant never going back. You know, I mean, how many of us, how many of you here are not from Cincinnati? You have someplace else you would call hometown, okay. You get to go back there once in a while, don't you? Even if it's only every few years. When they left, they knew they're never coming home. They're never going back again. And, and, and they went on a journey that took them months just to get to the place God wanted them to be. And then, and then it took uh, decades and even lifetimes before God's promise to them to give them that land was actually fulfilled in their great-grandchildren's lives. But, um, uh, you know, what was it that enabled them to say yes to that? You know, how were they able to say, okay, we'll go and we'll leave this behind, never come back? That's what we're going to talk about a little bit later in the message. But there's another guy in this passage we're going to look at in Hebrews 11 named Moses. It refers to Moses. He was a great leader in the Old Testament. Abraham and Sarah were the father and mother of the Jewish nation. And uh, Moses comes along uh, 400 uh, years or so, six, 800 years or so later, and, and he's a great leader, and he leads the people of Israel out of captivity in Egypt. But, you know, he was brought up in the courts of Pharaoh. He could have stayed in Egypt and been a prince. And Hebrews tell, the book of Hebrews tells us that Moses turned away from being known as the son of Pharaoh's daughter. So he could have lived there and had Pharaoh, the king, as his grandfather. He chose to turn away from that and instead to identify with the Jewish people who were slaves in Egypt. And do you know why he did that? It says he did that because he saw him who is unseen. 
He was able to see something other people couldn't see. And so he was able to make that. We're, we're going to talk about that later, okay? But uh, yeah, for right now, I have one joke. You ready for it? Okay. Yeah. So there's this elderly couple, and they're really losing their memories. And so they, they go for counseling about that, and their counselor says, well, you just need to write everything down, and that way you'll be, able, you'll be in agreement and you won't forget things. So they both say, well, that's a good idea. We'll do that. So one night, uh, they're uh, going to bed, and the wife says, uh, I really feel like a bowl of ice cream. And the husband, being a loving husband, he says, well, I'll go get it for you. And she says, well, write it down. And he says, oh, honey, I can remember a bowl of ice cream. And she says, but I want chocolate on it, too. And he says, I'll do that. She says, write it down. He said, honey, I can remember that. But honey, I want nuts, and I want whipped cream on it, and a cherry on top. And he says, sweetie, I can remember those things. I don't have to write them down. So he goes to the kitchen. He's there for like 20 minutes or so. And finally, he comes back to the bedroom, and he hands her a plate of bacon and eggs. <laughs> and she looks at it, and then she looks up at him and says, well, where's the toast? Wow, I'm glad I got a good one in. See, that, that's why it's good for me to go away for a couple of weeks. I'll come back with a really good joke. Hey, I, I really hope you've been enjoying this series on faith this summer. And, and more than that, I, what, what my heart desire, what I believe God wants is for our faith to be stretched for us to remember things we're hearing here when we're out there in life and to apply them and to say, wait a second, no, I'm not gonna respond this way to this any longer. This is the way I've been responding. That's not a response of faith. I'm gonna respond this way instead. And if you were here last week, you heard Will's message. How many of you were here to, to hear Will's message last week? Okay, all of you that weren't here, please please go on the website and pick up Will's podcast and listen to it. It was a powerful, powerful message on how faith works in times of disappointment. And when, when you don't see the good thing happen, how do you keep on believing? And, 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 and how, how does faith work in that? And uh, specifically, Will and Jen have gone through uh, the hardship of, of, of a miscarriage in, in the last uh, month or two, uh, last month or so. And if you weren't here to hear that, you, you might have been here when they announced that they were gonna have a baby and then, um, th then he shares in the message how they went through that and, and how they responded to the pain of that. And so please get that message and listen to it. But um, you know, as a grandparents, uh, we look at this and, and, it, and it hurts to see your kids go through pain. You know, it really does. And, uh, and, and for those of you that are little children, and you think, oh, once they're grown and gone, then my worries are over. Well, in a large respect, yeah. But um, still, you worry about your kids and you hurt when they hurt. But for us, too, we really, we feel the loss of a grandchild. And, um, and, and, and that is a real, definite loss. And I just felt like I wanted to share this with you today in, in the introduction to this message that we really believe that we lost a grandchild, not, not a fetus, but a grandchild, that this was a real baby, a real person. 
and um, n- not, like, uh, not like it would have become a baby when it was born and it breathed air, but prior to that, it's not. But that, that it was a real human being. And, and we believe that life begins at conception, at, con- at the moment of conception, and, and there's biblical support for that. King David in Psalm 51 and verse five, David was actually, he was lamenting a, a, a major period of failure in his life where he had not trusted God and he had fallen into sin. And, and he's confessing his sin to God. And in the midst of that, he says, he says, you know, I, I was born with a sin nature. But the way he puts it is this, he doesn't say I was born with a sin nature. He says, I was conceived with a sin nature. He says, in sin, my mother conceived me. So that what he's saying is, I, from the very moment of conception, I existed. And when my mother became with child with me, at that instant, a new human being, part of Adam's fallen line, came into existence. And so, actually, the word conceived there in the Hebrew uh, language leaves no doubt as to what it means because the word conceived actually means to be hot. Now think about that. Uh, we, we talk about our pets, dogs and cats, and, and we say they're in heat. Okay, so that's the, that's the way this, now we wouldn't use that of a person. We would say, well, that, that's a little bit off, you know, a <laughs> little off color, but, but I, yeah, yeah, I know, I know, I know, I know. But I have to share that with you that because it describes something and it's telling us from the very act, from that very moment of passion, from that very instant that dad's DNA made the connection with mom's DNA, that moment of conception from that very instant a human being existed. And it's important for us to recognize that because if we don't then we're gonna minimize the loss. We're gonna minimize the loss that other people are experiencing and, and just jump right to the pat answers of you're young and don't worry and all oh, this happens to a lot of people and with true things and maybe the right thing to say at some point in time. But how about this? If, 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 if God created life and if God loves each and every one of us, then God loved that baby. And, and there's, so there's a loss from the heart of God. And, and there's, there's something that's, that's, that's hurting in the heart of God. And if, if my heart is tied to God's heart, then my heart should hurt with his. And, and I mean, this does, I mean, I'm just going to just, I'm not going to leave this for you to figure out or to wonder. I am saying that abortion is the taking of a human life. Amen. All right? Amen. Now, I'm not saying that someone who's had an abortion needs to live with shame or you can be freed from that. Yeah, be freed from that. Do, be freed. There's no judgment or condemnation. But we need to know that life begins at conception. And, and these babies are human. They're, be, they're human beings. God loves them. And, and, and so, so we grieve that way. And we say we've lost a grandchild. But you know what? I also say this. I have, I have a, another grandchild, and it's in heaven. And we're going to see it again someday, okay? We're going to see that baby. And when we do, we're going to be able to love that baby. We're going to know that baby. And that baby's going to love us. And that baby's going to know what, what his origins are or her origins are. And, and so 
there's, there's comfort and hope in that. But you have to recognize the humanity. It, you have to recognize that that, 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 that that child was alive and a human being in order to have that hope even. Uh, there's a story that a good friend of mine told me, Adele Lopez. Uh, some of you might know Cesar and Adele Lopez. They're the pastors of the Lavinia Church in Los Angeles, California, one of the first um, Hispanic vineyards that, that existed. And uh, they're great friends of ours. They actually sent Minor and um, Isis Cannell here to Cincinnati from their church to plant Lavinia in Price Hill, which, which they did that through us as a church body. But uh, we also worked with them for many years in Guatemala doing church planting. And Adele, one time they were back here, told us this story that a, a younger in her, or earlier in life, she and Cesar had a two-year-old little boy that died. And uh, that the grief of this loss was so tremendous in her life, she just couldn't move past it. It, it was just, it was debilitating to her. And it went on for two, two and a half years. And after a couple of years of this intense grief, um, Adele had a dream. And she said in this dream, she was walking in like some rolling grassy hills and there was a person with her which she later recognized was an angel. And they came up over a little rise and they looked down and they saw this huge like playground. And she said it was filled with thousands of children and she said it was like, like they had caregivers there with them, which she recognized later were angels. But they were, she said it was a happy, joy-filled place. And they all were engaged in something that, that had their focus. And they were all very happy and filled with joy. And they walked down to it. And, uh, and Adele asks the angel, what is this place? And the angel said, this is the place that children who die at birth children who die through miscarriage, children who have been aborted, this is the place that they get to grow up and that they get to develop and mature into the full beings that God created them to be. And so they walk through the gate and as they're walking in, Adele said there were little children that would look up at her and they would look at her and then go back to what they were doing. And she asked the angel, what, what is that? And the angel said, they're looking for their mothers. He said, they're looking for their parents. They're waiting. You know, they're waiting to be reunited. And um, so Adele goes on, and there's a little boy that looks at her and recognizes her. And she recognized him, and it was her son. But she said he wasn't two years old anymore. He was like four and a half, five years old. And so that the, the, he had died at the age of two, and we're two and a half, three years later right now when Adele's having this dream. And so he had, he had matured that much in that time. And um, this just brought healing to Adele's heart. It brought healing to her heart. Where no answers, no, no intellectual answers, and I'm sure she heard every answer possible, no intellectual answers could heal her heart. But that experience in that dream brought healing to her heart. And I, Wilson said in his message last week that questions are okay as long as we leave them as questions and allow God to answer them in his time and if he wants to, okay? That, I think that's what God did right there. He answered the questions. Yeah. 
And, and so, uh, you know, questions, and we have to be careful with questions because questions can be asked with accusation or they can be asked just with honesty out of honest pain. You can, oftentimes when we ask the question why of, an, of another person, oftentimes we're saying justify yourself. Give me the reasons for why you did what you did. And there's an edge to that and a judgment that comes with that. Or, or you can ask that question, why? I, you know, I don't understand, I'm confused. I, want, you know, I love our relationship and let, let's talk about this and help me so we can maintain this closeness that we, and, and so there's a way to ask that same question without the accusation in it. And so if we can ask the question of God, you know, and even if we ask it with the accusation, it's not like God's mad at us. It's just if there's accusation in my heart, that estranges my heart from God. That, that, that hurts on my side, my relationship with God. But if we can just ask the question, say, God, I don't understand why, you know, why my brother died at such an early age. Or I don't understand why, uh, I, you know, why I lost this job. They told me I was doing great and everything was going well. And I go in and they say, you're, you're, you're released. I, God, I don't understand why did we lose, lose this baby? The questions like that are okay as long as we ask them with that heart and then we leave them for God to answer in his timing, okay? And so, um, uh, yeah, I think that Adele's dream is powerful. I think that it's, it's gonna bring healing to a lot of people's hearts here right now because one of the things that I've discovered, we've discovered, is how many people have had miscarriages. I mean, in this room, I'd, I'd be shocked if there aren't at least three dozen families, maybe, maybe 50, who've had, who have had miscarriages, and maybe more than that. Uh, it's just amazing, and, but there's healing for that, okay? There's healing. And, and, I, and I just pray right now that as we go through the rest of this service, that this whole, um, this whole thing of, uh, of, of Adele's dream will minister to your heart, that uh, David's word that life begins at conception. And you know, King David lost a baby at birth. It died right after it was born. And do you know what David said about that? He said, the baby's gone, he's not gonna come back, but I'm gonna go to him someday. He says, I'm gonna go to him someday. And so we know we're gonna, we're gonna see them again. And you know, God heals broken hearts. He's in the business of healing broken hearts. Psalm 147.3 says God heals the brokenhearted. And his healing comes through revelation of himself, not through rational point-by-point explanations, but through revelation of himself. Because healing comes through relationship. Now, okay, so... What I want to talk with you about today is faith, and I want, I want to carry on with this idea of faith, and it really give it kind of like a working definition, all right? Um, I think I should pray right now before we go any further, so let's just pray together. Uh, Holy Spirit, we, we sense your presence here, and we welcome you. We welcome your presence here right now. Let's come. And flow with your healing, bringing the love of the Father, the gentleness, the compassion, the kindness, 
just flow through, through every heart here that needs healing for, for the wounds of loss, loss of a child, whether it's through a miscarriage or abortion or through illness. Bring healing to each heart right now. We ask you, come. Just open your heart to him. Say, I receive your healing. Holy Spirit, bring your healing into my heart. Yeah, in Jesus' name, amen. All right, faith. What is a definition of faith? You know, I'm not sure that the Bible really gives us a real crystal clear definition of faith. And that's why I called it a working definition in the title. In fact, the one chapter that we call the faith chapter doesn't really define faith. What it does is it describes faith. It describes the impact of faith, the effect of faith. But it doesn't give a definition. It's more of a metaphor that we see in Hebrews 11 than it is a definition. The difference between a definition and a metaphor, all right, here it is. If, if I wanna give you, let, let's use love as an illustration. If I'm gonna give you a definition of love, then I would do it this way. I would say love is the commitment of one's heart and life to the welfare of another person. Even though it might cost you personally, you're committing to their welfare. And it's almost always accompanied by an emotional heart attachment. That's a definition. Now, if I want to just describe love to you and give a metaphor, I would say love is the joy of life. Love is the thing that makes relationships work. See, those are metaphors. I'm telling you about love and giving it some description, but it's not a definition. And that's what this passage does. Uh, in the very first verse of Hebrews 11, one through six, he says, now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. And so he's describing what it is. And the key word there is this word of unseen. As you look through this chapter, the word unseen is the key to the whole thing. Because what faith does, faith enables us to see the unseen. And when we see the unseen, then we can understand things about this life and this world that we can't understand just by looking around at the things that can be seen. In fact, when a person comes to Christ, when you accept Christ, the Bible says you are born again. The Bible says that you have spiritual eyesight that is opened. Just like you can have blind eyes physically before a person comes to Christ, our spiritual eyes are blind. We can't really see who God is. We can't really know who he is. We can know he exists, but we can't really understand who he is until we accept Jesus. And when we do, the Holy Spirit comes into us and he makes us children of God and he opens our eyes so that we can see the unseen world. So that when we walk in faith, we see who God is. You see who God is. When we walk in faith, you, you see his goodness. You see his life. You see his beauty. And you're able to, you're able to say, nah, you know, this bad thing that happened, that does not define God. 
That's not who, God didn't do that. I see God. I know who God is. And he opens our minds to the scripture so that we can see what the scriptures are truly saying about who God is, and we can see him. Now, we as well can see his promises. And we see, we see his goodness, but we see his promises so that we can live on the basis of his promises. And when we can see his goodness and then we can see his promises, then we can live his unseen promises. We can live on the basis of the unseen in this seen world, in this tangible world, where we live, where we, where we do touch things. We can see then how does the goodness of God apply to this relationship that I have. Well, if all I go on is what I've seen here in the physical realm, then I need to get even with that person. I need to, I need to tell them a thing or two. I, I need to somehow break uh, their will because they're trying to assert their will, whatever it might be. But when I can see the unseen God and I can see his promises as being reality, then I see how to respond to that person the way God would respond to them. And I can make choices in life based upon the unseen world. So it, if, if, if I'm frustrated with my job and I'm going to work and I'm saying, this, this job is beneath me, I am, I'm not being fulfilled by this job, I don't like this job, it's boring, I hate coming here, my boss doesn't like me, the other people don't like me, I don't want to come to this job anymore. That's all the seen world. Do you know what the unseen world is? The kingdom of God is here. Heaven is here, pressing in. And you are the conduit of heaven into your workplace. You're the one who carries heaven into your workplace. You know, when we think of this, the kingdom of God, uh, you, you know, there have been a lot, of, a lot of science fiction shows about alternate universes. And you read in the magazines and the newspaper articles that there's this likelihood that there are alternate universes and stuff like that. If, has anybody seen a show like that ever? Okay, so you know what, what that means is that in, in that context, there is another universe that where this place exists, but it's all different, and, 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 if, and, and in the shows, people bump from one universe into the other and have all these experiences, but they're overlapping, totally overlapping. Okay, that concept, plug the alternate universe in, but say it's the kingdom of God, it's heaven. There are two, it's, heaven is an alternate universe that is trying to break into this universe. And you and I are the portals through which heaven breaks in. Okay, that's, that's, living in a, that's living in the basis of the unseen. And faith enables me to see that. And faith enables me to live that way. Faith enables me then to go to work saying, I wonder what God's gonna do today. I wonder what opportunities I'm going to have today to release the kingdom of God, to release this unseen kingdom right into this seen world. And so it just changes the way we live. You know, I wonder what God's going to do in my marriage to release his kingdom. Because I see his kingdom. I see this and I see the tension and the mistrust. But, but I see his kingdom. And I know that his kingdom can flow into this relationship. And, through, and he is here. And so it gives us a different way to live when we live on the basis of the unseen. That's what faith does for us. And so this first verse, he, he says, faith is the assurance of things hoped for, 
Um, it's hope in the Bible is not like when I wish upon a star. Hope in the Bible is something that is promised that you know is coming because you trust the person who promised it, all right? It's like dad promises we're going on vacation next week and dad's never failed you. And so you think, all right, next week at this time I'm gonna be sitting on a beach and what do you think next? You think, I can't wait. And what is that? That is anticipation and excitement. And so faith gives reality to things that are coming that we haven't even experienced yet. And, and, and the thing that we're like, think of this. You're a college student going through finals, final exam week, and you don't know if the next semester is gonna start the day you end or not. But you say, boy, I sure hope we get a break. No, you know there's gonna be a semester break. And you're staying up all night studying for finals, and you have strength to do that because you know this is coming. You know, next, next week I get, I get three weeks off, I can't wait. I'm gonna plow through these finals. And so you find strength because of the thing your hope is in. And you find, actually you can find joy in that. I, I know different key points in our lives uh, one of the big moments when we moved from Michigan to Illinois, I had resigned my church there, didn't know where we were going next, I didn't know where we were going to live, had four kids, and, and, and that's a, you know, that can be a burden, but you know what I did? I thought back and I thought, you know, I remember when I was single moving, not knowing where I was going to live, and wow, God blessed me, and look how it worked out. And I remember when Lori and I were married, didn't have kids yet, but we moved to this new city, and, and God just worked it out, gave her a perfect job, everything worked out perfectly. And then I thought, well, if God did that and he did that, then he can take care of Lori and me and our four kids just as easily. And so what that meant was, here's, here was my reasoning. I thought, five years from now, I'm gonna look back on this time and I'm not gonna say, oh, that was an awful time. I'm gonna say, wow, look what God did. Look what God did, just like I'm looking back to those other times and saying, look what God did. So then I thought, well, wait a second. If I'm gonna be happy like that in five years, why don't I just reach five years ahead or three years ahead? I'm gonna take hold of some of that joy and I'm gonna pull it back into the right now. And I'm gonna, I'm gonna, have, I'm gonna live with that expectation and joy of the hope that's coming. Does that make sense? Yeah. Okay, faith enables us to do that. Now, he says it's the conviction of things unseen, and as again, I said the, the unseen theme is the key theme in, uh, in, in this whole chapter because he, he's, talking about, he's talking to a group of people that think that they can go backwards to another time. They're, they're basically, the, he's writing to a group of Jewish people that had been Old Testament Jews with the hope of Messiah coming, living on that basis of promise and hope. Now Messiah is here. They have accepted the Messiah into their lives. They're Christians now, and they're, they're taking grief for it. They're losing their jobs. They're being persecuted. Families are rejecting them over it. And they're thinking, well, wait a second. We knew before we believed in Jesus, we knew God, and that was all God's system. So why don't we just go back to that old system and we'll avoid all the persecution? And so what the writer of Hebrews is trying to tell them is, hey, the old system was a shadow. It was a promise. You have the reality now. Now that the reality's here, there is no old system. It's gone. 
The old system is gone. You can't go back to it. If you go back to that, you're going back to nothing but death because you're rejecting God's answer of a Messiah in your life right now. And so what he's telling them to do is, even though you're seeing all this pain and hardship, you've got to live on the basis of what is unseen, just like Moses did. When Moses said no to Pharaoh, and he identified with the people of God, even though that meant persecution and hardship for him, he identified with the people of God because he saw him who is unseen. Unseen by the world, but seen by the believer. And so this whole passage is, um, is, all, is all based on that. Now, verse three, just bring verse three up, okay? Um, it's really key to the whole thing. And, and, and he says this, he says, by faith we understand that the universe was created by the word of God so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible, now that is the central verse in this whole chapter and what he is saying there, he is just affirming this truth. We live on the basis of the unseen and with the expectation of the unseen breaking into this world at any moment. That we, that again, that you and I are connected to this alternate universe. We actually live in the alternate universe of the kingdom of God and it is breaking in, and you and I are carriers of the kingdom. We're those points where there's just this bulge of the kingdom of God coming into this world, just ready to break open and to spill out into this world at any moment. Now, that's not seen by people in the world, but that's seen by you and me. And that's why we live the way we live. That's why we love other people. That's why we care about other people. That's, that's why we sacrifice for the sake of the advance of the kingdom. You see, otherwise, following Jesus is just another philosophy of life. Following Jesus is just something I read in Reader's Digest that would make my life better if I live this way, these three things, and then I'm gonna have a happier life, and la-di-da, that's great. Uh, but that, that's not what Jesus calls us to. He calls us to a life where we live on the basis of the unseen realities. Therefore, we can endure whatever hardship comes. We can face whatever rejection comes. We will sacrifice to see that kingdom come into reality. We will give up things that we want so that we can be a part of it, give up our time and our energy and our money and our resources so that we can see that kingdom break in to this world. That, that's what we're called to. And, and that's what a life of faith is all about. And that's why living on the basis of the unseen is, is the way to go. And we're just gonna look at this one thing and then I end. But uh, verse six, pop that up there, would you please? It says, without faith, it's impossible to please him. And please him means to delight his heart. My grandchildren delight my heart. They don't have to do anything. They don't have to make their beds to delight my heart or eat the right way to delight my heart. As long as they don't smack their lips, they're okay. Um, but no, they, so, so with, just by looking to God with innocent faith, we delight his heart and we must believe that he is and that he is a rewarder of those who seek him. So it's not enough just to say, well, I believe in God. I believe in God. But you know, there are people out there who believe in God and then they go out and kill other people because they believe God is vengeful and that if you say something to offend him, you deserve to be killed. 
Or then they go out and they hate on other people because they, they believe that if, if you don't do it the, you know, the right way, then God's mad at you. And, or, or they go out and they blow themselves and other people up because they believe that's what they believe about God. So you have to believe there is a God, but you have to also believe he is good. You believe he is good. You have to believe that. And when you believe that, that he is a rewarder. I pointed this out before, but it's not just that he rewards, it's not just an action, it's who he is. It's his character, it's his nature. He can't help himself. If you come up to God and you say, God, I'm seeking you, he rewards you. He blesses you. That's the way he is. And when we realize that's who he is, then that changes who we are. Because his life, I want his life to flow through me. That's what we want. We want his life to flow through this church body so that people, uh, and, and yeah, people need to be set free from things. People need to repent of, of things in their lives that are, that are wrong and hurtful and sinful and destructive. I'm not saying that's not true, but I'm saying that repentance, we repent to a good God. We repent to a loving God. It's the kindness of God that leads us to repentance, Okay. And so when you and I really get that in, we're seeing the unseen and, that, and we're walking in faith and it'll change who we are, it'll change our church body, it'll change this whole northwest side of Cincinnati, the whole city, and, and we'll have a profound impact on the entire world. So Will's gonna come up, take us into the next part of the message. There he is, so.